Regardless of what you're selling and your preferred style of selling, there are a few things that we all need to consider to make sure that we boost the chances of someone actually buying from us. In this episode, I share key areas for you to pay attention to so that you can strengthen your sales results and or identify which parts you can change or add to. If you're totally new to selling, this will also help you plan your sales journey. And I promise you, I'll be sharing ways that you can sell without feeling uncomfortable or too pushy. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. Today is all about selling. So I'm not going to talk about marketing. This is all about the sales journey. And that kind of starts when someone makes an inquiry. Remember that when someone makes an inquiry or books a call with you, they're excited. They're ready to take action because they've already taken that first action towards buying from you. So we can't let that excitement and enthusiasm go stale. So make sure that you can respond to inquiries fast. That's the first thing I'm going to share. Make sure you have something in place so that you can respond to any inquiries fast. I know that we can't be on 24-7 but we can have things set up. For instance, I get a lot of tuition inquiries through my Facebook page. So I have an automatic reply set up and it's just a placeholder before I can actually reply. You can do the same thing with your emails, something like an out of office responder for the times that you know that you won't be checking. So having something in place is a really good way of giving people reassurance. You know what it's like when you send a company an email or a message and you just have no idea whether they've even received it and you don't know when they're going to get back to you. So it's a really good way of managing people's expectations, giving them that reassurance that you've received their inquiry and that you'll be with them soon. So with that out of the way, making sure that we have something in place, let's go through a few things to really make sure that you're considering to attract paid clients, to make sure that people who speak to you, if they're the right client for you, that they become a client. The first thing I'm going to talk about is your call to action. That's the thing that you ask people to do. That's the thing that generates that inquiry. Or if you sell, let's say, digital products, it's the button on your website that they press to buy. We want to make sure that our call to action is a really good one, one that our audience are likely to respond to. Now, you might need to experiment with a few so that you find out what people respond well to. For example, for me, With the tutor's mastermind, let's say, if someone wants to join for £15 a month just to watch the videos, they can actually go to my website, click a button and sign up straight away. While I've had a couple of people do this, what the majority of people like to do is they like to book a call with me. Now, when they book a call with me, I often get asked questions where the answers are actually on my website. Now, what that shows me is they're not looking at my website. What they want to do is speak to me. And having experimented with different calls to action, when I say book a call with me, that's the one that works the most for my audience. Now, everyone's audience is different. So you do need to try different things out. 
But the fact that they booked that call, the fact that they asked questions where they could find the answers on my website shows me that they see speaking to me as that fast track. And I'm really happy with that. By speaking to people, I learn so much about them. And it means that I really know my clients before they start working with me. Now, when you're thinking about your calls to action, there might be numerous ways that people can contact you. So for my tuition business, let's say someone can send me a message on my Facebook page. They can drop me an email. They can call me. Well, they can book a call with me. But the thing is, is that when we give people too many choices, it often results in them taking no action because we're kind of overwhelming them. People consume content or they scan through websites really fast. People scan. They don't necessarily read. So I always advise, and I found this works really well for me, is to have one main call to action and just keep repeating it. For me, that is book a call with me. You want to keep repeating it so that people remember that's the next step they need to take. So experiment with different calls to actions and see which one people respond to. And then when you find the one that people quite like, stick to that one. Even though they might have different choices, if they go exploring, then they'll figure that out but give them that one really clear choice so that they actually make that inquiry so that they start that sales journey. So when they start that sales journey, let's assume someone has clicked that button to book a call or they've sent you that message or that email. We want to think about what happens next. We want to look at the length of the sales journey. Now, a real key to success here is to make that journey as short as possible. So let's say, for example, someone has to click a button to go to your website and then on your website, there's an online form and they have to click that online form. That's quite a long journey. Imagine the difference if you were able to give them a link and that link was to that form rather than the added step of them having to find the the correct page on your website. Even though that sounds like a really minor thing, it can put people off because they might be in a situation where they're really ready to respond. They're feeling really proactive. But they don't have heaps of time. So if you're saying that you need to do this, then you need to do that, then maybe they'll think, okay, that's fine, but I'll do that later. And that later may not come. They may forget. Life gets in the way. They might change their mind. So we want to make sure that the sales journey is as short and as clean as possible. Some ways to do that is by giving people instant access to you. So for example, using a link where someone can book a call with you if that's applicable. If, for example, you don't let people book calls and instead, if they want to make an inquiry, they have to complete a web form and then they maybe get an email response, then a really helpful thing is to have something prepared that preempts any questions that they might have or possible objections. I'll give you an example of something I used to do. So I used to run these quite large group classes for my tuition business. And a really common question was, Will my child have an opportunity to ask you questions? How do you tailor it if it's quite a large group? So what I did to demonstrate how I do this rather than me explaining it was I took snippets from different group classes because I used to record the sessions and I just put together this little collage that really demonstrated everything that people needed to know about the environment, about how I taught in that environment as well. So what used to happen was if someone made an inquiry Then a day later, just while that inquiry is still fresh, I would just send them another message just saying, you know, just while you're waiting for our call or whatever it might be, here's a video that shows you live footage from our classes so that you can see exactly what they're like. Now, just by having that beforehand, having that as a pre-step, something that they could watch, it meant that 
majority of people who spoke to me actually joined my group class because I put their mind at ease. It meant that my calls were very short because a lot of their questions and a lot of their insecurities about it were already tackled within that one video. So something you could do is let's say someone completes a web form, you could have it redirect. So when they press the submit button, you could have that redirect to another web page that demonstrates a video that shows a video, sorry, or has you speaking to them, explaining something to them, telling them a little bit more about it. If you're really into automation, you could have something set up. Let's say a day later, they receive a pre-recorded voice note from you where you're welcoming them, saying thank you for making an inquiry and explaining certain things to them. So if you don't have the choice of someone actually booking a call with you, having access to you, or if there are gaps between someone making an inquiry and you speaking to them, you can have things in place in between to just make sure that you're keeping that enthusiasm and that excitement alive. But the key takeaway, regardless of whatever you have in place, is you want to make sure that that sales journey is as clean and as short as possible. We don't want to ask people to work too hard because they won't work hard. And it's not because they're lazy. It's because they're not vested yet. They, at this stage, they don't have the time necessarily or impetus to actually work hard, to check you out, to click here and click there. Right now, they want to ask their questions, find out about the basics. For a lot of people, that will be enough and they'll book. For some people, they need a little bit more time. Now, before I talk about what happens next for those people who need to think about it, I'm going to talk about how effective your sales calls are. So if you are like me and you actually speak to people, I'm calling it a sales call, but actually I call it a discovery call because my aim isn't to sell. My aim is to make sure that I've understood what that person's needs are and that I am matching them with the right service or product that I can offer. And actually, if I don't think I'm right for them, then I can advise them of that as well. But I'll call them sales calls for the purpose of this podcast. So when you're setting up these calls, the first thing to think about is the length. If it's too long, as I discovered when my tuition calls were about 30 minutes, if it's too long, then the conversation goes stale. And actually, that's your signal that it is too long. So if you're not sure how long to make them, try out different time lengths. And you want to keep that conversation fresh, exciting. Almost you want to leave people wanting a little more. So you don't want to cut them off. You don't want them to feel like they didn't get to ask all their questions. But you don't want to make it so long that they're asking more and more and more questions and maybe even asking you for free advice and so on and so forth. So we want to make sure that the conversation doesn't go stale, but we also want to make sure that it's not so short that people feel rushed. You'll find that sweet spot simply by experimenting. So for my tuition business, and I've spoken about this before, my calls used to be 30 minutes. I then changed it to 20 when I felt like 30 was too long. So I only shaved you know, 10 minutes off it, but it made a difference. And then I reduced it to 15 minutes. And that's the right length for me. I find that that really works. They're really productive now. It's a really targeted conversation. And as I talked about in episode 52, now that my calls are only 15 minutes, well, when I turned them into 15 minutes, I saw this huge difference in how many people became clients versus when it was 30 minutes. And if you want a little bit more of an analysis as to why that happened, have a listen to episode 52 next. Another tip I have to make these calls really effective is to find out as much information beforehand as possible. And that's really so that you can tailor the call. You can cut out valuable time because you're not having to find out those 
basic bits of information that you could collect through a form. So it means that you can start that conversation by saying something like, right, I can see that your biggest struggle is, or I can see that you're asking about X, Y, and Z. I can definitely help you with this. It means that call starts on this really strong note. That person immediately trusts you. They immediately feel confident. Now, I use Calendly for everybody who wants to book a call with me. And on there, you have the choice of asking, I can't remember, I think it's something like 10 questions. And for me, that's enough. I find out some core information beforehand so that I can tailor the call from the word go so that it doesn't end up being this generic call where I'm finding out everything about them from the start. And a great thing about this as well is that from that point that someone makes an inquiry, they feel listened to. Well, they don't just feel listened to, you are listening to them. Now, although you might think, well, these are just really small things, these small things have such a big impact because what you're doing is you're preparing that person for your call. You're making them excited and really feel confident before they've even spoken to you. So it means that by having all of these things in place, by the time they actually meet you, they already trust you. They already feel really safe with you. So it really doesn't have to be a sales call. They are already sold in a way. They just want to meet you. They just want to ask some questions. So when you're having the actual call, you want to make sure that the call is about them, not about you. So it shouldn't be filled with you talking about what you offer. Your offer should only be presented when it's a very natural solution to their problem. And if you're a beginner, if you haven't had many calls with potential clients, then you could create just a very loose script. I would never really advise having something really heavily scripted because then it will feel really artificial. But also you'll have a panic if someone asks something or if the conversation goes in a different direction. So maybe you could have a quick checklist of things that you need to ask them and maybe things you want to talk to them about, but try not to make it too rigid. So when you're having this call, make sure that they are speaking for the majority of time. You want to make sure that you're finding out about what their problem is. Something I always try and find out as well is how committed they are to making a change. I generally ask people to really verbalize that because I don't have endless time to be speaking to people. I'm more than happy to speak to people. And even if they're not sure, or if they don't end up working with me, I don't feel like it's a waste of time. But at the same time, I do want to, wherever possible, really make sure that that person is committed to making a change. And if they verbalize that, they're a lot more likely to stand by that. Remember that we're not doing a sales call as such. What we're doing is that we're helping people decide whether we are right for them. We're helping them to solve a problem and we're providing that solution for them. So often in these calls, I do help people a little bit. Something that I often talk about when I train people on selling or I support them with that, there's a really fine balance between helping people and giving them enough for a micro win, but them knowing and understanding that they need to pay if they want more. And a, a phrase that we used a lot in the mastermind in December when we just focused on sales was, we want to be problem solvers, not sellers. And presenting people with what we offer is part of that problem solving because we can only take them so far. We can only take them further when they work with us. So what you'll probably find is when you're having a really strong sales call, because someone trusts you or because you've already helped them and you've made them feel so reassured, they'll probably ask you questions. And those questions are things that normally you know, if you answer them, people normally pay you for them. In that moment, you really will want to help. But just make sure that you're really thinking about how much you're helping them. 
Whenever you're offering anything for free, you really want to give people quick micro wins. You don't want to teach them thoroughly this entire topic, partly because you need to get paid for that, but partly because the purpose of this free advice or these freebies is to help someone decide whether you're right for them. It's not to solve all of their problems. So when someone is asking you lots and lots of questions, just make sure that you're really boundaried. Make sure that you aren't answering all of them necessarily if it doesn't feel appropriate. Now, you're not being unhelpful by holding back. You're actually managing their expectations and making sure that they don't feel overwhelmed with information. Because if you bombard someone with loads and loads of information, if you give them loads of actions to take, yes, you've been really helpful. Yes, they may thank you profusely, but chances are they won't then go to buy from you, at least not for a while, because you've already given them so much to get started with. So that point of contact with someone is really important. And that's what you do if you've got a sales call. But what if you're liaising with someone via email? Well, I would have very similar concepts in place. So I talked about that video resource earlier where I've got live footage from my class that people can watch. But I would have a little bit of a process. So if someone makes an inquiry, what can you send them in return that maintains that excitement, that establishes that trust? It's not just a simple case of, you answering their questions in a really dry kind of fashion. So whether you're talking to someone over the phone, on an online video call, whether it's, I don't know, via email, Facebook messenger, whatever, it's still interaction. And the purpose of that interaction is still the same. You want someone to trust you enough to buy from you. Now, a lot of people end it right there. So someone either says, I'm going to buy, fantastic, they've bought from you. Or they've said, I'm going to think about it and you don't want to be pushy, you want to give them space so you let them think about it. Or someone says they're not interested. They're kind of the three main options that, or the three things that happen by the end of this inquiry process. But the one I want to talk about is what happens when someone says, I need to think about it. I want you to ask yourself whether you have anything in place after that. Because you know what it's like, you've been in this situation, sometimes you're really close to buying something or you're really interested in buying something. And for one reason or another, you just don't quite feel like you have the nerve to buy it right now. You don't feel ready to make the decision right now. You need a bit of time to think about it. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to buy or that you didn't have any intention of buying. It just means you need to think about it. But during that time that you're thinking about it, you might go back and forth, back and forth. And the result might be that you think, yeah, no, I don't feel ready right now. Maybe later, maybe later. Now imagine the difference it would make if someone kept in touch with you, if they checked in with you and said, just want to check, do you have any questions? Or if they sent you things that were really useful that helped you actually buy, rather than you thinking, no, I'll do it later, that helped you think, actually, do you know what? I'm going to do it now. So following up is a really powerful process and it's something we often don't do because we feel pushy and we feel like, well, someone said they need time to think about it. So what can I do? I need to give them that time. I did some bonus training in the mastermind recently all about the power of the follow up in the mastermind twice a month. We have really structured training. But for the full members in between those trainings, I also go live. I share lots and lots of bonus bits of support related to that topic. And one of the things I talked about in December was the power of following up. And there are so many different ways you can do it. And I'll share some of them with you today. The thing you want to be led by is the parting comment, the parting sentiment that that client 
shared with you at the end of that call or at the end of that inquiry. How did it end? Now, what that means, we just need to reverse slightly. It means that when we are in that inquiry phase, when we're having that call, when we're interacting via email, we need to make sure that we have done everything we can to understand exactly what mindset they're in. We need to know exactly what they're thinking when that call is about to end. And we need to understand why they're thinking that. Is it because they're not sure about their budget? Is it because they're not sure if this is right for them? Is it because they've never actually paid for support before? And so this just feels really uncomfortable. They really need to think about it. When you know what mindset and what position they're in at the end of that call, that will unlock a really strong follow-up process because it will be personalized. So let's take an example. Let's say that you're having a call and someone says to you, okay, that's really great. Thank you. But I need to think about it. You can then ask, yep, that's absolutely fine. What are you thinking? Because I might be able to help. Do you have any questions? Now, the response to this can take you down lots of different paths. So someone might say, well, it's money or someone else might say, I'm unsure if this is right for me right now. There are lots of possibilities. So at that stage, if you can reassure them, if you can answer any questions that have arisen from that answer, then you do that. But if not, then that's fine. You give them the space, but at least you know exactly what their mindset is. Now, when you think about the information you gathered before the call, the information you gathered during the call, you can group that together now and you know exactly what their problem is that needs solving. You know that you can offer the solution, but you also know this secondary problem, this problem that's stopping them from actually taking action right there and then. So based on that, one of the ideas that I shared with the masterminders is you can follow up with a really helpful resource and that would be really nice and tailored. So let's say that you contacted me about the tutor's mastermind. Let's say we had a call and you were saying that really you just want to really grow your business. You want to strengthen up your marketing. You like the idea of being part of a community. And at the end of the call, you say, I just need to think about it. I, everything you said is great. I don't have any questions but I just need to think about it because I've never really done this before and I'm just not sure if it's right for me. So that's fine. Something I could send you, let's say I could check in with you a couple of days later and just say, look, do you have any questions? I could share some footage from one of the sessions. I could say, would this be helpful for you? Because you told me that you're not sure if it's right for you. You told me that you've never done this before. So sharing some live footage is evidence. It's demonstrating and it's letting you see for yourself whether you can visualize yourself being part of that. So I know it's really tempting to automate as much as possible. And look, I love automating. I've probably automated my business within an inch of its life. And I've even automated some follow-up emails. And I tell people that, look, you're going you're gonna to receive some automatic emails. But in certain cases, it's really worth investing your time in making it really tailored. Remember that everyone's in a different position. You don't know why they need time to think about it. You don't know why they haven't bought yet. You know, sometimes I get off calls, people, they act as if they're going to buy there and then like in the next 30 seconds and then they don't and then I don't hear from them. So, you know, people are in different positions. So you want to stay on their radar. That's what marketing is about. That's what following up is about. I'll share an example of one of my clients, Debbie. She was actually one of the first Cheetahs Mastermind members. And she's still with me. In fact, she was one of my very first clients when I started up Grade Your Education Business. And I remember her saying to me that I kept meaning to sign up and then I just got busy with the kids. And then one day I saw a Facebook post from you and I ha happened to have my card handy. So there and then I just quickly signed myself up. 
So you don't know what position people are in. And that's why it's so important to stay on their radar. By following up with them, you are still being helpful. You're helping them make a decision. You're staying on their radar so that when they are ready to make a decision, you're the person that springs to mind. And of course, the result of all of this follow up and all of this marketing could also be that someone contacts you and says, I've decided not to go for it. Now, to me, that's not a terrible result because at least they've made a clear decision. That's all I really want for people that I speak to. I want them to be really certain and really confident in their decision. If they're going to go for it, I want them to feel confident. And if they're not going to go for it, I want them to feel confident. So at least they've made a decision and you have helped them get there. But also, at least you know. You are no longer thinking, oh, why didn't that person contact me? Should I contact them? I'm really not sure if they're still interested. Following up with people is not being pushy. It is part of being a problem solver and using that style of selling. So I'm going to give you an action that you can take right now to figure out how you can make your sales a little bit stronger. Before I do that, I'll do a really quick summary. The four things I shared, the four areas that you need to look at to really make sure that your selling process, if you like, is really strong is firstly, look at the call to action that you're using and make sure it's a strong one. When I say it's a strong one, it's the one that your audience like the most. It's the one that they respond to the most. As I shared, for me, that is asking people to book a call. People really like that more than me asking them to click a button on my website. For you, it might be the other way around. So just experiment, experiment with one call to action at a time, see how that goes, see how people respond. The second thing to analyze is how long or short your sales journey is possible. The aim is to make it as short as possible. We don't want to give people loads and loads of things to do just to buy from us. We want to make it really easy, really quick and really clean. The third thing to look at is how strong the interaction you have with clients are, potential clients, I should say. So that could be through a sales call. It could be via emails going back and forth. Whatever it is, we want to make sure that it's well thought out. It's not just a case of, oh, someone's asked me a question, so I'll just answer it. Because sometimes layered underneath that question is another question that they're not asking. So we want to make sure it's well thought of. And if you are thinking about actual calls where you jump on the phone or go online with someone, you want to make sure you're thinking about how long that is and making sure that it doesn't go stale. A key takeaway from that part was that remember, it's all about them. It's not about you. And the fourth thing is to ask yourself what happens next. So we know that people have generally got these one of three routes. They either buy or they don't buy or they need to think about it. They're somewhere in the middle. And for those people who are somewhere in the middle, we want to help them make a decision. That decision can go either way and that's fine. But we want to make sure that we're not potentially losing someone who would have bought from us if we had just kept in touch with them. So as promised, here's an action that you can take right now. Look at those four different aspects of your sales journey and just think about which one you don't feel like is working very well. Now, I'm purposely not giving you anything too tangible. I'm not saying look at this data or here is a checklist or here's a signal that it's not working. Because actually in this bit, I want you to follow your intuition. Your gut instinct will be accurate here. So think about those four stages. Ask yourself, are people taking the action I'm asking them to take? If the answer is no, then you need to look at that. Then ask yourself, how are those calls going? How do you feel? Be really honest with yourself. Do you feel like they're a bit dry? 
Do you feel like you're not really building up much of a rapport? Do you feel like you're actually helping them loads and loads and loads? Or do you feel like you're not really helping them enough? Think about how you walk away feeling and think about the response that people generally have. Now, if you're thinking, well, actually, whenever I speak to people, they pretty much become a client, then you need to take a step back and just think about your call to action because you don't have a problem with those calls. Maybe the problem is what you're asking people to do to book that call in the first place. And then the fourth area, remember, was to think about what happens next. You know your clients, you've spoken to people. And if you're really new to this, then maybe you haven't spoken to people, but you probably have a fair idea of the kind of questions that people might ask. I would always start by making a list of some of those questions and then thinking about whether there's anything that I can provide beforehand, before they've maybe spoken to me, or even after they've spoken to me, that's going to help reassure them and answer those questions. So I hope you found this useful. As always, if you have a quick second, please do leave a review. Reviews help me so much. Honestly, I love reading them. Obviously, I love reading them and they motivate me to just keep recording, keep going because this is hard work, but also they help me reach more people. But as always, thank you so much for giving me your time listening to me and you will hear from me again next week. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas on tailoring your business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.